You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Mother Natalie Van Kirk and recorded on the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, February 4th, 2024. And the Lord was with Samuel, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Every time I read that little sentence from the third chapter of 1 Samuel, and the Lord was with Samuel, and he let none of his words fall to the ground, I have this sort of little mental punch in the stomach, like, ugh, that goes off in my head. Am I faithful enough that God's words do not fall to the ground on my account? Am I faithful enough to help you and to teach you how to keep from letting God's words fall to the ground? That sentence is the conclusion to a little story that we read on the Sunday just before we started our Jonah series, which we will come back to next year, next week. We're not done with Jonah. Now, since Christmas, I had been wondering what I would preach for the annual meeting because sermons on annual meeting day are always a little different than sermons on a regular Sunday. And that particular Sunday morning, I was just sitting back there in the corner and listening to the reading, and that sentence was read, and this little bell went off. There's your sermon for the annual meeting. So here we go. The story from 1 Samuel begins when Eli was the high priest over Israel during the time of the judges. This is the time before there were kings in Israel. Eli lived at the shrine in Shiloh, and the Lord had prophesied to Eli's forefathers that Eli's family would always serve the Lord. They would be his priests forever. Now Samuel's parents had gone to Shiloh to offer their sacrifices before Samuel was born. And while we were, they were there, Samuel's mother Hannah had prayed to God that God would relieve her barrenness and give her a son. If God gave her a son, she promised that she would take him to Shiloh and he would be consecrated to serve the Lord for all of his life. And Hannah's prayers were answered. And when the child had been weaned, so he was about three, maybe four years old, she took him to Shiloh and entrusted him to the care of the priests. In the meantime, Eli's own sons had grown up and they were abusing their rights as members of the priestly class. They were stealing offerings and money. They were chasing after women, and they were just generally disregarding the law of the Lord. They were, the scripture says, evil men. They took advantage of the fact that God had promised that the family would serve him forever, believing that no judgment would or could ever fall on them 
because of their behavior. Eli tried to rein them in. He knew that there were, their offenses were offenses against God and not simply human beings. And he said to them, stop this, you must stop. And they said, yeah, yeah, Dad, we hear you. And they ignored him. And they continued to scandalize the people of God. And finally, God sent a messenger. A man of God who came to Eli and told him that because he had failed to reign in his sons, the Lord would no longer allow Eli's family to serve him as priests. Eli's sons would die and no member of Eli's family would live to old age. They would all live in poverty. In the meantime, Samuel was growing and learning and becoming faithful in the role of a priest. And one night, the Lord called out to Samuel. And when Samuel finally realized that it was the Lord calling him, he said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God told Samuel that the time to carry out his judgment against Eli and his sons had come. It will make ears ring in all of Israel, God said, because Eli knew of the blasphemy of his sons and he did nothing about it. And then we get to the text of the sermon. It just concludes the paragraph. And the Lord was with Samuel and he let none of his words fall to the ground. That was the difference between Eli and Samuel. Eli knew the law. Eli was a priest and a prophet. He had heard the word of God and delivered it to the people, but he did not control his own sons. He allowed them to behave as though God did not exist. And that's what it means to let the words of God fall to the ground. So, nice story. What has it got to do with us sitting here 3,000 years after Samuel lived? Do we need to be concerned with letting the words of God fall to the ground? Well, let's start with a verse from St. Peter's first letter. You, us, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own, that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light. Now that letter wasn't really a letter at all. It was a sermon for the newly baptized. We're all baptized. And we're all part of that royal priesthood. That can mean a lot of things. But it means that we, every single one of us, are called to keep the word of God and to share the news of salvation with others. Now the problem for us comes when we act as though we are not baptized. And when we do that, when we live as though our baptism into the body of Christ is a fiction, 
to live as though the promise is made in our baptism and the promises that we receive from God in the, that same sacrament, to live as though they are meaningless and no different, or makes us no different in behavior from Eli's sons. It is living as though God does not matter. Now, for Christians, there are other ways we can let God's words fall to the ground. Christ says that whenever two or three of us are gathered together in his name, he is present. That's why Christians have no temple anywhere in the world, no place where we believe that it is the only place that God comes to visit and dwell among God's people. We know that the resurrected Christ is present with us wherever we are. And so we become little temples because Christ is our temple. So we just like we carry the image of God, the imago dei within us, when we are baptized into Christ, we become little temples. And if we're careless with our bodies or our lives, if we abuse or are careless with the bodies and the lives of other human beings, we are desecrating the temple of God that is within us and the temple of God that is within them. But letting the words of God fall to the ground is more than just about being, how we treat our bodies or the bodies of others. It's not purely a social matter. Our behavior is also a profoundly spiritual matter. When we receive the body and blood of Christ in Holy Eucharist, we are renewing and reinforcing our share in the body of Christ. We are lifting prayers. We're making vows. We are claiming the promises of God and we are invoking the name of Christ. That's not just a ritual. It's deeply intimate, soul-centered, and life-defining. Every time we celebrate Holy Eucharist, there's an opportunity for Christ to be welcomed into our lives and to enter more deeply into his life. You are, as the saying goes, what you eat. To receive the sacrament and then live as though this is not what we are doing when we receive it is yet another word, way that we let the words and the promises of God fall on the ground. So how do we all together and individually avoid letting the words of God fall to the ground and becoming like Eli's sons? Well, St. Peter has some suggestions, and as one modern paraphrase of Scripture puts it, roll up your sleeves, get your head into the game, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know better then, but you know better now. 
as obedient children. Let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy. You be holy. Now, of, of course, St. Peter really didn't say, get your head in the game. But is sure the sense of the Greek in his letter. And that's a thing to remember. Live and act like you're baptized. Stay awake. Be prepared. Take this hour and each hour that follows after it seriously. We have only a limited number of them. The Christian who keeps the words of God from falling to the ground takes their faith seriously. They worship, they pray, they participate in the life of the church because it is the life of Christ's body. They reflect on their relationship with Jesus and they ask themselves what that relationship means for the way in which they live. That's the first thing. Stay awake. Be prepared. Second, take care of those in need. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew's Gospel. Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me ill and you cared for me in prison and you visited me. Caring for those in need is a big part of our life here at Good Shepherd. Fuel bags, our Ecuador mission, food for the poor, shower up, room in the inn, soul care for our own members. They're all important activities in our congregation. And I know that you have, many of you have other charities and projects to which you contribute time and money. And those are wonderful things, and I'm very proud of them and proud to serve the people that do them. But interestingly, the projects we do here, which are integrally related to the work and word of Christ, are an entirely different effort from some of the other things we might do in the world. And right now, those projects involve fewer of our volunteers than any other set of things we do. And many of the volunteers that do participate in them are involved in two or three of these projects. The call to care for those in need is a call to each and every one of us. And what is wonderful to say, or while it is wonderful to say, my church really cares about outreach programs. It is even better to say, welcome to Good Shepherd. We really care about caring for those in need, and we believe it is a job for all of us. Which project would you like to participate in? The third way we can keep the God's words from falling to the ground is we teach God's words and our faith to one another from infinite infancy to old age. And we commit ourselves 
not just our children, to studying and learning. Proverbs says, raise up a child in the way that he shall go or should go, and he shall not depart from it. In other words, if you point your child in the right direction, they will not be lost when they are adults. The beginning of an adult is with a child. Now, to be sure, Proverbs recommends, the Proverbs are a good recommendation for a course of action, but they're not guarantees, but they are a way for us to begin. And there are a lot of things involved in pointing children in the right direction. There's teaching other people to treat, or teaching them to treat others with respect. There's sharing. There's manners. There's knowing that the universe does not revolve around you. There's pursuing goals and practicing skills until one becomes competent. There's finding meaning and purpose in responsibility and in serving others. But without guidance, the connection between those behaviors and our faith in Christ will be lost or unclear. And if you have ever tried to teach a two-year-old to say please and thank you, you know the lesson has to be repeated hundreds, maybe thousands of times until they're like, oh, I don't know, 25 or so? So it is with teaching the faith. Occasional exposure does not do very much. Real acquaintance with teaching or with, with Christ involves teaching our children at home and regular exposure to his presence in church. And it involves continuing to be exposed to Christ through the faith of those adults who are not only their parents. Children learn more by imitation than they do from telling. What do they see you doing? I don't just mean those of you who have children at home. I mean everyone, because children watch all adults, not just their parents, to see what it might look like to be an adult. Let me explain. When I was about 15, I came pretty close, about that far, from leaving the Christian faith altogether. Like most people who are that age, I lived in a pretty black and white world. There was little room in my world for struggling to be better or for grace when you fell. If you were an adult in my eyes and you said you believed in Christ and you went to church, there was no place in your life for sins. And especially not in the world I grew up in, the sin of racism. At 15, I was living in a country where over the past seven years, there had been hundreds of bombings. Martin Luther King had been assassinated. The cities had repeatedly erupted into flames and to riots. And the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Act had fundamentally changed the nature of our country. I can remember when the first black students came to my school. And what did all that have to do with church and my faith and why I almost left it? 
Well, I grew up in a little country church, and I was related to many of the mem members, and as for the rest of them, my father and my aunts and uncles had all gone to school with them. So we knew each other. And I heard what they said, and I heard the language they used, and they were racists. How could they go to church and be so racist? It was not what Jesus wanted. And so I considered leaving, and I pretty much did, because they lived so differently from what Jesus wanted that whatever they believed could not be important, and I didn't want to be associated with what they called their beliefs. I'm older now, and I understand that the church is a hospital for sinners and not a retirement home for the saints. But a lot of people, especially young people, do not know that. And they are watching you, even if they're not your young people, and they are listening to you. And you need to remember that. There are so many young people who are deconstructing their faith these days, and I've read their stories and I've realized that they share common threads. These young people have seen little of adults in their lives and their church who are studying and growing in their faith. What they have seen looked like rote religiosity without convictions. They have had few opportunities to ask questions, the often awkward and difficult questions that young people want to ask, and as a result, they're convinced their faith has no answers for them. They have learned little about the wider faith of the Christian church, they have no history, or any, other, any knowledge of any other way of being Christian. And so for them, the only result, the only way to get free is to get out. The stories are sad. And it is the result of what happens when we let God's words fall to the ground. Still, there is hope for them and for us because nothing is impossible with God. One final question for you. What do you think, in surveys, people say is the number one purpose of the church? To get together on Sunday morning for an hour and a half? That's the number one purpose of the church? No, over and over again, it doesn't matter what age group you ask, from Gen Z to the boomers, and even the boomers' parents who are still with us. The number one thing people want in a church is a place that is intentional about spiritual growth and helping people experience God. I bet that's not what you expected, is it? They want a place where they can experience God. We have a big leg up on that at Good Shepherd. We have a lot of opportunities for study. We have multiple service projects, and we're always looking for more ways to serve the world around us. And we also have a liturgy and sacraments that renew and strengthen our ability to live as though we are baptized people and to know the risen Christ among us. 
we have a lot to offer the world and we need to be generous with it when they come to visit us or when we meet them in the other places that we go. Here's my challenge to you for 2024. Let us all, you and me and all of us together, commit ourselves for this year to living as though we are baptized and have been baptized into the royal priesthood of Christ. Living, serving, worshiping, and learning that keeps the words of God from falling to the ground. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738 where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.